Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, James Casina, and Jocelyn Gotto. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to part two of the special Easter episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. I'm one of your hosts, James Casina. Many of you might remember that this time last year, three churches across Sri Lanka were attacked as people gathered to celebrate Easter Sunday. In part two of this episode, our field team in Asia dives deeper into what really took place on that day and the way the church rose up in faith even in the grief and aftermath of the attack. As I said in the last episode, we normally produce content that's family friendly. However, today, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to consider carefully who you might be listening to this episode with. I know that this episode will move you, challenge your faith, and hopefully show you that Jesus is worth everything, even our lives. This is the part I hate to talk about, but also the part I cannot avoid. The suicide bomber who walked to Zion Church on that fateful Easter morning was an actual person. A man who once was a boy with dreams about life. He introduced himself as Omar to the Zion churchgoers. The police later identified him as Mohammed Nassar Mohammed Azad. He was 27 years old and married. Rumors that he originally wanted to target another Roman Catholic church are probably not true. Pastor Roshan knows that Mohammed had visited his church a few times before. Uh, because I kept uh, some of my workers to arrange the mot- cycles and motorbikes. So when the face came in the CCT camera, the other bomber, uh, then they began to recognize, yes, the Abhashadas also are recognized. Uh, he had come for Wednesday healing service. And he had come one Sunday. So altogether, three Sunday, three times he has come. So fourth time he came well prepared. He's kind of a racky, you know. See the movements and who am I and all that. And until that Easter Sunday, there was nothing suspicious about him. The healing services are often attended by Muslims and Hindus as well as Christians. What made him sacrifice himself and kill so many men, women and children? Unlike some of the other bombers, Mohammed seems to have appeared like a ghost without a past. The police, local media and even the local Muslim community hardly know anything about him. All we know is that Mohammed was part of the little-known terrorist group called National Zawid Jamaat, which is probably linked to the Islamic State. That means that Mohammed believed in the restoration of the Islamic Caliphate, that Islam had to be purged from apostasy, and that Allah's Judgment Day was near. But first, the army of Rome needed to be defeated. Rome is the West symbol, and the West is Christian. From there, the leap to attacking Easter breakfast and Easter church services isn't so big. In Muhammad's world, killing by dying was really the best way to pray. The Christian community in Batikaloa didn't want to talk about him. I've tried to discuss him several times. But to be honest, I don't want to think about him too much either. She played with her friends 
as they waited to worship the young man arrived and then she was gone they took her away but her blood seemed to say them lord please remember remember today there must be something that touches our heart when we speak of a savior who died because in life he rejected that easier path and he stood with those standing outside part 3 the families sangeetham 23 kartar en meipperai irukkar naan thaalchi adeyen avar ennai pullulla idangalil meithu amarandha thannir andeyil ennai kondu poi vedugirar avare naathumave thetri thamudi naamathin nimittam enne neediyum paadhu this is dukashini a 12 year old girl reading psalm 23 to her father devanir ennodu kude irukkirer umadhu kolum umadhu tadiyum ennai thetrum en satruvukku munbaga enakku neer or pandiyai aithiyam panni en thalaiyai ennaiyal abhishegam pannugirer en paathram nerambi valigirathu her father is prashant an illiterate day laborer he was never that interested in church but dukashini's mother was a faithful believer Every night after their three children were sleeping in bed she would read God's word to her husband. Dukashini's mother was severely wounded during the attack on Zion Church and passed away one week later. Then the reading stopped. Until Dukashini grabbed the Bible and began reading to her father. Talking about the events is difficult for the family. There's a life before Easter 2019 and a life after. And after will always be a little grayer than before. Dukashini's mom, Prashant's wife, danced towards her death, almost literally. The day before the attacks, the family celebrated the birthday, and suddenly she began to dance. Why are you acting crazy? Prashant asked. Why are you dancing? I don't know, she said. Maybe I'm dying. The next morning, Prashant brought his wife and children to church and left them, hoping someone would hire him for the day. He would never speak to his wife again. During the week, she was in the hospital. He couldn't accept what the doctors were telling him. He believed she was going to survive. He says, after she passed away, I realized there was nobody to take care of my children anymore. Now he does go to church. She had repeatedly asked him to go, but he had turned her down every time because he needed to work. And the last time she asked him was the morning of that attack. When I met Prashant, he wasn't very talkative. His gaze was skittish and his breathing was heavy. He seemed nervous, grieving, desperate. His shy children were leaning against the wall, their hands behind their backs. His elderly mother stood in the doorway, and behind me, in a small bedroom, separated from the living room by a thin curtain, lay a skinny boy with grey and black shorts on a small mattress. He slept, not knowing that he is his dad's greatest concern. Including our group, there were eleven people in a home that's barely ten square meters. But the emptiness we felt 
was indescribable. We considered if Prashant would benefit from a social economic development project. And we are still discussing if we can help him. But for the moment, all we could do was pray. With, uh, taking care of his children. Father, you will provide in everything that they need. Another house we visited was the house of Pastor Kumara. You have heard him before in this story. He was one of the people who spoke to the bomber only minutes before he carried out his attack. And it was just after dinner time and already very dark outside when we arrived. It was a newly built house, but not quite finished yet. The bare concrete walls and floor seemed to symbolize the hardship that had come over this family. While we waited in the living room, we could hear Kumaran's family sing and worship. And their passion amazed me. They were still worshipping God, even though their 12-year-old son, Malkia, was no longer with them. I later asked the pastor to describe his son to me. Yeah, so uh, Malkis loves music. Uh, he learned to uh, play uh, octopad, and uh, the recent days he also started to learn the uh, trumpet. Yeah, I also, I, I had a plan to uh, buy an octopad and even a trumpet for him this year, yeah, if, if they go like this. But uh, these things happen, and uh, Malki is uh, very, very nice and uh, very talented uh, music like us. Very, very, very talents, very much talents he had, yeah. While we talked, Kumaran often looked towards the table that was next to his chair. On the table stood a picture of his son and some trophies. Did, did any of you ever have any dreams about him? Uh, oh, yes, oh, yes. Um, couple of months before, I think, I had a dream about my son. Um, he's, uh, he's something like he's laughing at me from far. And uh, yeah, that's just for a few minutes, seconds only. Yeah, he had a dream, my son. Uh, my wife didn't, I think. Uh, even she said, I haven't, so, yeah. So in the dreams, he's always happy? Yes. Normally, he's very funny. <laughs> We saying fun Malkia. <laughs> yeah, he's always uh, uh, making happy. Uh, so it seems like it's uh, you, you can talk relatively easy mm. about your son, about what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so it means you, you must be given a lot of strength also to be able to share this openly. Uh, what, what gives you the strength? It's like this. Um, I received Jesus Christ when I was a Hindu. At the same time, I received Jesus Christ as my savior in one of the Islamic countries in Saudi Arabia, when I worked there. Um, so in there also, uh, we worship the God in an underground church. One day they caught us, 
they sent to the jail. They, they deported me. Then when I got married, my wife, here. In that experience, I start uh, my journey to do the God's work, really the ministry. Um, actually, God strengthened me from that day, from Saudi Arabia, the day that I received the uh, salvation. God strengthened me to do his ministry. So I always telling my children uh, about the martyrs. Malkia also, before he died, I we noticed that uh, without knowing anyone of in the house, he began to read the story about the martyrs. There's a book about the martyrs. So he, he read the book secretly. I also, um, uh, uh, we also found one of his uh, documents. Like essay, which is he wrote for the Sunday school teacher about um, Saint Paul, and that essay, at the last point, he made the point like this: like Saint Paul, we also want to dedicate our life uh, to die for Jesus Christ as a martyr, and that's what he did. So through this all, what I want to tell to the people who are listening to my voice. Our lives should be given to Jesus. Because when we are, when we are ready to give our life to Jesus, we also will be covered from, from Jesus. You know that we are able to get back. That's what, so Jesus said, I'm giving my life because I can uh, uh, recover that from my father. So like that, so that's what I want to tell them. I, we want to dedicate our life to God, to give our life. Then only the real Christianity will shine from everyone's life. Painful and beautiful at the same time. That's right. That's really, that's really painful, but beautiful. After we had prayed, we were all given a piece of paper. I didn't get to look at it until I had returned to my hotel room. It turned out to be a testimony about Marquia written by his older brother, Jeremiah. I asked somebody to read what he wrote. He could turn the Bible pages as soon as somebody asked to read. Malki sang the songs, the day of resurrection. I have decided to follow Jesus. We went to the Sunday school by 7.30 a.m. on 21st April 2019. The last worship with my beloved brother, we read chapter 5 from Galatians in the Bible. Kneeled down, confessed our sins, prayed well, gave our life to God to guide us. We lit the candles and sang songs together in the Sunday school. We felt the presence of God abundantly, then went to have our breakfast by 8.50 a.m. That was the last moment I saw his loving face. Thereafter, around 9 a.m., I heard a terrible sound of bomb blast. People were screaming and running here and there for safety, knowing nothing about the terrible sound and fire where it came from. Now my loving brother Malki is in heaven. I am shedding tears and praising God because he shed the blood and burned in the church entrance to bring more people to God, ideally remembering sweet little brother as the army of the Lord. One day I will meet him with Jesus. This is what I strongly believe in Jesus, who conquered the dead and lives again. 
last year he wrote an article about Apostle Paul and Malki wished to be a martyr. Malki, my only brother, who gave his life for whole Sri Lankan to be saved. Trauma experts talk about the five stages of grief and loss. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Some of our visitors are hopeful. These families were in the process of acceptance and receiving new strength. Pastor Kumaran's family is an example of that. The pain and sadness were very real, but there was also a level of acceptance. But some families were not there yet. They were still stuck in the pit of grief. The parents of 15-year-old Kevin struck us in particular. And I discussed that visit with my colleague Tala. We went to uh, a family of Kevin. Yes. His, um, uh, Kevin passed away, young boy. Yeah. Uh, his mother and his father were there. Mm. Uh, and uh, I had done all the interviews before, so I was so exhausted. And I asked you, you know, if you could take the lead on, on this one. Yeah. Uh, which I think was really led by the spirit as well. Mm. Uh, because we, yeah, we were trying to have a conversation with the father. The mother didn't say that much. Mm. We asked him, uh, you know, what are you struggling with? They were so depressed. Um, mm. We were sitting almost below the picture of their son. Yeah. Uh, such a big poster uh, that they have on the wall. Yeah. Um, at some point, the father said, my wife is still struggling so much. Please pray for her mm. uh, that she can get over it because I don't know what to say. She still has so many questions about why this happened. Yeah. And then how did the mom respond? So I asked her um, what her questions were. And um, she answered, actually, I don't have any questions. It's just that whenever I see other children, I think of my son. And I can't come to church because it's too painful for me. Um, yeah, she says she, she, she says that Kevin is always on her lap. Uh, and um, she doesn't really let go of him. She only let go of him because uh, she wanted him to go to church. And this happened. So she still can't come to terms with it. Um, she said that her family doesn't understand um, the grief that she's uh, going through. And that um, she doesn't She says that she'll still keep she'll still keep on believing in God. She still trusts God, but it's hard for her to come back to church. Yeah. It was actually a very painful visit because she kept saying, uh, I've lost my son, I've lost my son, I've, I've lost, lost my, my son. son. Yeah. I've lost my son. She says that. And she also broke down. She was in tears the whole time. It it was a very hard um, visit because, again, this is one of those visits where you just don't know uh, what the right right words are for that moment or if there are any right words <laughs> at all. And um, so when words fail, um, I think I think that's when um, that's the right time really to just to just draw close to them and and be near them and tell them you know that 
God God hears you that it's okay to be honest with God it's okay to tell him uh, about the pain that is in your heart and about the suffering that you're enduring and he he listens to you I um yeah so I I, I pulled up my chair and and um, sat closer to her and um, told her about those things and I told her that God collects her tears in the bottle and, and you took her hand and I took her hand yeah and we just kind of sat in silence together and we prayed for one another afterwards listen to this this is what made me so proud to be part of this open doors team Dala moved away the plastic table that was in between her and Kevin's mother. And then she held Kevin's mother's hands. And after a little while, we stood up and just prayed for her, her husband and the other children. Lord, you are um, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we left, I'll be honest, we felt exhausted, empty even. But at the same time, we realized that the Lord had used our visit. Through us, Kevin's mother was able to express to her husband how she felt, as Stala explains. One of the first times that she actually uh, verbalized how she felt in front of her husband, and that it's really hard for her to go to church, um, not because she doesn't believe in God, but because of the you know pain that she's still going through. And so I think... Yeah, God is working in this family, and I really am hopeful that that um, uh, our sister and her husband could could um, you know could support one another, and um, yeah, be there for one another as they as they mourn and as they move forward with the loss of their son. There's one more family I'd like to introduce you to. Let's call them Debbie's family. When we entered the small house, it was full of light. We were seated on plastic chairs, while Debbie sat on a bed with a thin, grey mattress and no blanket. The six-year-old girl had just woken up and was still sleepy. Her family was among the hardest hit. Debbie and her brother lost both parents. Her mother was Verlini, the Sunday school teacher everyone talks about because of her devotion to God. Debbie and her brother now live with an uncle called Verl and his family. Verl and his wife lost their son. And pictures of the three deceased family members hung on the wall. But they were not life-size, as we had seen in some other homes. Verl misses his sister and her husband, and of course his son Jackson. But at the same time, he's incredibly proud that they gave their lives for Jesus. Yeah, I was expecting that he will, he will be able to complete his all-levels and will be, will be a best player and also music. And I want to see him excelling in every area and that then he will be no, no, no need of depending on anyone. That was his expectation. That was my plan. But it was not God's plan. I have, this is the only son I had. I don't have it. I still carry that pain in, in me. Jackson, or accident, or 
நம்மளோட போயிட்டு <laughs> அவங்க <laughs> While we were talking, another sister of her walked into the room. She sat down quietly on a corner of the bed, but I couldn't ignore her. The left side of her face was completely covered in burn wounds, and a large chunk of hair was missing from the middle of her head, revealing a bald scalp. Her arm was wrapped in bandages. This was Rebecca. And she was supposed to sing a song with her sister Verlini that Easter morning. This came up after I asked Verl if Verlini, his sister, was prepared for her death, like I had heard about others who died that day. Verlini was indeed ready, he said, because she woke up at 3 a.m. that morning. Do you remember what kind of song? What, what song for Easter? In the party. Rebecca answered. Calvarin Karunai Itae. This is the grace of Calvary. She sang, and another sister joined in. Calvarin Karunai Nai Kayangalil Kanode Katun Yesu. This is the grace of Calvary. It is seen through his wounds. Look, Lord Jesus bore these difficulties for you. Priceless blood is flowing continuously. He paid a costly price to give you value. This is the grace of Calvary. I noticed that Rebecca wanted to talk and I asked her to come closer. She explained that the Sunday before she had already sung the song with her sister. Rebecca was in the bookshop when the bomb went off. She heard a loud sound and thought her phone had exploded. 
She was hit on the back of the head and fell to the ground. Her only thought was, I'm going to die. And she prayed, Lord, please purify my heart. The only thing she saw fire, fire everywhere. She fell unconscious and when she woke up, both her legs were broken. However, someone had gotten her out somehow. Rebecca has been struggling to recover and spent many months in the hospital. When I asked her what had given her joy and strength, she answered, Debbie. Debbie always tells us not to worry. You see, there's one thing I haven't told you about Debbie. She didn't only lose her parents, she also lost her eyes. And when we first met her, months before, she couldn't even walk. One of the aunts said, Debbie often asks us, what's the first healing Jesus did? He healed a blind person. She says, my time for healing has not come yet, but my time will come. One day I will see you again. My time has not come yet, then the time will come, I will see you again. We tried to have a conversation with Debbie. I sat on my knees in front of her while I talked to her. I'm fine, she said in Tamil when I asked how she was. She's only six years old, as I told you. She couldn't see me and she didn't understand my language. Of course, her sentences were very short. Then her family asked her to sing one of her own songs. There is victory. There is victory to Father Jesus. Father Jesus was nailed to the cross, rose again on the third day and trampled the head of Satan and gained victory. There is victory. There is victory to Father Jesus. Debbie was blinded in an attack. She barely survived. She lost her parents and her cousin. Yet she sings that victory belongs to Jesus because he crushed Satan's head. Debbie brings so much faith to this family. One day her grandfather was crying and Debbie said, God will turn your sorrow into joy. I asked Debbie if she wanted to say something to the people who prayed for her. She was still shy and her aunt answered on her behalf. Because of their prayers, I'm here now. I'm strong. Most people with my burn wounds couldn't even walk. But thanks to your prayers, I can walk. I asked Debbie how she wanted us to pray for her now. And her request was very simple. I want to receive my sight back. As always, we ended our meeting with prayer. Then we got up. Debbie suddenly shifted off the bed. Debbie, can you really walk? Tala shouted. And the small skinny girl with her beautiful brown skin crossed over from the bed to the chair where Tala was. It was less than a meter away and she almost ran into Tala's arms. And I suddenly had a flashback. I could see my own one-year-old daughter taking her first steps. Walk, somebody replied. She can even dance. And I asked Debbie if she wanted to dance. And she said yes. Her uncle grabbed his phone and played one of her favorite songs. Her legs were wobbly at first. Then she put her hands on her sides and moved her hips from left to right and back. 
She stretched out her hand, fully expecting her aunt to grab it. And then she twirled with the grace of a six-year-old pretending to be a ballerina on some famous stage. Debbie can only see shadows. Her world is under a blanket of darkness. Yet she dances, dances in the dark. This is what hope sounds like. A blind girl who lost her parents but has the faith to dance. And the faith to sing about Jesus' victory. A boy who honors his brother who died a martyr. Monkey, my only brother, who gave his life for whole Sri Lankan to be saved. A soft prayer when there's nothing left to say. Lord, you are um, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. A bold pastor who will fulfill the mission Jesus has given him no matter what. If I live, I live for the Lord. If I die, I die for the Lord. A girl reading the Bible to her illiterate father in the cool of the night. A pastor's wife who can see beauty in the darkness. Those are, you know, really good things. But more than anything else, like all these 83 families have not left off the hand of Jesus. And the church that lost 17 adults and 14 children in one attack, but is more alive than ever. invited to speak at this church during that service. But what do you say to a congregation that has lost 31 members in one bombing? I shared with them three lessons I have learned from the persecuted church. The same lessons I found in Philip Yancey's excellent book, The Question That Never Goes Away. The first lesson is that God is on the side of the sufferer. We see in the Bible that the people of God don't suffer alone. Second. People often ask, where was God? But in the Bible and in the persecuted church, we see that God is where the church is. We are his hands and feet, and God is present through us. And lastly, we have to hold on to his promises, especially the promise of restoration. All these lessons that I shared with the believers in Betikaloa came back to me during our family visits. Zion Church had already learned them. I was afraid that Easter had become a source of internal pain for them, but the opposite was true. It's because of Easter that they suffered, but it's also because of Easter that they have hope. At Easter, God did the impossible. He suffered for us, he died for us, and he restored our relationship with God. The people in Betikaloa who have lost so much 
need Easter more than ever, just like they need Christmas more than ever. As Philip Yancey says, we live in between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. The victory has been achieved and we are waiting for the promise to be fulfilled until the day that the Lord will come back. And in that hope, we live. Thanks again for listening to our Easter episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. This Easter, we're encouraging people to stand with the persecuted church in something that we like to call One With Them. We're asking people to draw a cross on their wrist, share it on social media, and give $100 to strengthen the persecuted church, just like the people that you've heard from in Sri Lanka. So head to onewiththem.org to give, and don't forget to share a picture of a cross on your wrist on social media and hashtag onewiththem. Thanks for listening, and we pray you have a blessed Easter.